Praise the Lord. It's good to be in God's house this morning. Amen. Do you love Jesus? Praise the Lord. That's four of us. <laughs> the rest of you need Jesus. <laughs> Do you love Jesus this morning? Yeah. Amen. That's better. Praise the Lord. I know you love Jesus. If you didn't love Jesus, you wouldn't be here this morning. Amen. I love Jesus. I love serving him. I love being a part of his kingdom. I love catching up with all of you throughout the week. I caught up with Brother Diddy and his family down in Innisfail on, uh, when was that? Thursday, must have been Thursday. I stopped and said hello and um, of course caught up with our Connect group on, on Tuesday. If you're not a part of a Connect group, you really need to be a part of a Connect group. Right? If you're not going to a Connect group on a Tuesday, you need to come and see me and say, hey, pastor, I want to be a part of a Connect group because they're an important part of what the church does, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. So it's good to be here this morning, and today we are going to continue on with what we were talking about. Uh, we started a series last week talking about our identity in Christ, talking about who we are as Christians and what does that mean. And, and this is important because as a church, we are on a journey of becoming a church of disciple makers. Amen. We want to be a church that is effective in making disciples. And I, and I think part of the foundational part of this is we need to be sure about who we are. We need to be sure about our faith. We need to understand why do we come and gather here every day, every Sunday, I should say. I'd like to gather here every day. That'd be great. Amen. Why do we gather on Sunday? What is the point? And I know when I was a young person... That point of coming to church was because mom and dad said I had to go, right? But there reaches a point, young people, let me just talk to you for a second this morning. There will reach a point in your life where you will need to decide, why am I here? You know, my parents always told me when I was growing up, you cannot make it to heaven on the coattails of your parents. Amen. You got to make a decision yourself at some stage. You got to go, okay. I am going to live for God. I am going to be faithful to God's house. I am going to pay attention. I am going to live for Him. I am going to go to youth camp. I am going to get involved. I am going to live for God. Amen. For me, that happened really when I was kind of about 16, 17. I made the decision. I'm going to live for God. And I struggled a little bit just through some circumstances in my life. And then when I was 19, I decided that's it. I've made my decision. I've made up my mind. I'm going to live for God. I went to church every, day, every time church was on. I was in prayer meeting every time prayer meeting was on. I started doing Bible college. I started doing all this kind of stuff because I was like, right, I'm going to live for God. Nothing's going to change now. And even if my parents, Lord forbid, ever decided we don't want to live for God anymore, that would not affect my walk with God. I would still trust God because I have a relationship with Him now. It's not via proxy through mom and dad. Now, I don't know why I felt led to say all of that. Maybe I'm talking to a particular young person this morning who's sitting there squirming. Who knows? <laughs> Praise the Lord. But this is why we need to know our identity. And I think I got onto that because as young people, our identity of who we are in Jesus Christ is often tied up with, well, I go to church because mom and dad go to church. But at some stage, we need to have our own identity in Jesus Christ. Amen. We need to have our own relationship in Jesus Christ. We need to have our own prayer life. Amen. 
And the same thing really does apply to adults as well. Right? Many times I feel like adults fall into the trap of, well, we go to church because that's just what we do on Sunday. Hello? Now I know none of you would fall into that category, right? Right? But it's so easy to do. It's just, oh, it's Sunday, we go to church. Amen? And, and when we fall into that, then we start building our relationship not with God, but we start building a relationship with a church building or with a tradition or with a pastor, and it becomes all about the pastor and not about God. Or it becomes all about the church building and not about God. Or it becomes all about the tradition and not about God. Amen. Praise the Lord. And so this is why our identity is important. Amen. And, and last week we spoke about how we are important, how we are unique, how God has created everybody as individuals with your own unique talents and gifts and abilities and outlook and perspective on life. And he brings them together to form the church. Amen. We've talked about this before. The church is not this building. The church is the individual men, women, boys, and girls who make up this, the people here. Amen. We are the church. Praise the Lord. And so today we're going to continue on with our lesson. Um, and we're going to keep talking about our identity. You got your Bibles. Why don't you go to the book of Daniel? We're going to read from chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1, we're going to read verse 1. Everyone say amen when you're there. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel, of the king's seed, and of the princes, children in whom there was no blemish, but well-favored, and skillful in all wisdom, and cunning in knowledge, and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, in whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision, verse 5 we're in, of the king's meat, and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among those were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and Azariah of Abednego. Praise the Lord. Now... We're going to talk a little bit this morning about names and identity. How important are people's names? Very important. If you were to go into a shopping center, who can I, who can I choose? Let's, let's, pick on, let's pick on Sister Minnie this morning. She's in the shopping center and she's trying to find Sam. And she can't see him. And so she stands back in the middle of a crowded shopping center and goes, Hey, you! 
How many people do you think will turn around to pay attention? Quite a few people. Amen. Now, if she put her head back and went, hey, Sam. Hopefully, Sam would hear it. But if there's anyone else there whose name happened to be Sam, they too would turn around and listen, right? I mean, haven't you ever had that experience where someone says your name and you're like, oh, no, you're not talking about me. Okay. Right? But if she put her head back and said, Sam Stevens, what would happen? Well, okay, that's that guy. Everyone knows that's that guy. That's not me. We use both the first name and the last name, amen? So names are very important because they are the, the, the tag, I guess, which identifies who we are, right? Right? And names have meanings, and particularly in the Old Testament, we might dig into this a little bit later, but names have meanings. Does everyone know what their name means? This is quite interesting. I did a bit of research before I came today. The name Jason, that means healer, right? In the Greek, it's a Greek name, it means healer. And I quite like that because I feel like one of my strengths is the ability to bring relationships back together and help people heal. So I feel like, hey, I'm kind of living out the purpose of my name. Do you know what the name Kenneth means, Brother Kenneth? You'll like this one. It means handsome. <laughs> handsome. Maybe that's why my grandmother got her, uh, her, my grandfather to change his name to Kenneth. <laughs> she liked the name Kenneth. Do you know what Stan means? Where's Brother Stan? Do you know what Stan means, Brother Stan? This is very deep. You ready for this? Stan means he who dwells in a stony place. Do you live near stones or anything like that out at Edmonton? A bit stony out there. He who lives in a stony place. I tried to find out what Diddy meant, but Diddy didn't come back with anything. They were like, we don't know what that means. <laughs> Isaac. Isaac means he will laugh. And doesn't Brother Isaac laugh? I see him laugh all the time. It's great. He's got a great laugh. He will laugh. Amen. Mini. Mini means the lady of the earth. So you must be a really good gardener or something. Are you good at gardening? Yeah. Lady of the earth. There you go. See? Joshua means Jehovah is salvation or Yahweh is salvation. Amen. And so... We have names and they have different meanings. And, um, you know, even as we were going through the Dark Ages and the Middle Ages, people's last name often matched what they did. So if your last name happened to be Baker, I could promise you that at some stage in your family history, four or five hundred years ago, your family would have been Bakers. If your last name is Butcher, I could promise you that if you go back four or five hundred years, you would have some family members who were butchers at some stage. Amen. And millers. If your last name was Miller, you would have a family that ran a water mill and they were millers. Right? And so people's last names became associated back then especially with, with what they did. See, my name should be Jason Photocopier. That's what, that's what I do. Or maybe Jason Xerox. Or something like that, right? Because that's what I do. Now, we don't do that today. Amen. Amen. But names were very, very important back in the Bible days as well. People would name their children based on, 
on something God had done or a promise from God or what their hopes and aspirations were. We named Jonathan based on, on that, right? Most of you know that our story, we were not able to have children. And so we decided when we had Jonathan, we called him Jonathan because Jonathan means What's it mean? I think it means Jehovah has given or God has given. I think it means Jehovah. Jehovah has given. And that was our way of saying, hey, we recognize that God is the one who's given this to us. Amen. We didn't want to call him Nathaniel because that's my brother, which is the gift of God, which was the same reason my parents named, Jonathan, named Nathaniel Nathaniel. Amen. Because it means gift from God. Amen. So people name their children like this and and in this story here, we see a bit of a progression as we're talking about identity. Daniel chapter 1 and verse 1 and 2, it tells us that um, when Nebuchadnezzar came and took Jerusalem, when he defeated it, um, I don't know exactly what year that was, around 605 BC, there you go. He took the city and he took the vessels of the house of God. He took the cups, the gold, the platters, the candlesticks, everything that was used in the temple, Nebuchadnezzar took and he put it in the house of the Babylonian god, amen. The Babylonian king was under the impression that if he stole these things away, because you've got to understand, the Hebrew children were a very religious people. Their temple was the most important thing in their whole life. Right? Everything revolved around the temple. And so the Babylonian king had this idea that if he stole the things away which the Hebrews thought most valuable and then associated them with the Babylonian gods, he took them and he put them into the house of his god right? and began to use them in the service to his god. He was saying, you know, I'm going to disassociate your worship and what you hold dear and your values and I'm going to associate it with the Babylonian god. Amen. What he was aiming to do was to erode the Hebrews' cultural religious structure and create tolerance by acclimatizing them to their, his God. Right? So you go into the temple of Marduk, for example, and you go, oh, look, there's the candlestick from our church back home. I feel a bit more comfortable here. Oh, look, they're using the same gold plates that we use back at our temple back at home. Maybe this is okay. Now, I'm not talking right after the, after the exile, but I'm talking 50 years, 100 years, 200 years, 400 years down the track. The longer the children of Israel stayed there, they would see the items that had previously been used to worship Jehovah were now being used to worship a false god. Amen. And it begins to erode their, um, their identity. The fact that, hang on, well... I'm pretty sure dad used to tell stories that his grandfather told him about this golden candlestick that was in our temple. And it's right there. It looks the same. It seems to be the same. Amen. And what the king was attempting to do was to change their values of the Hebrew children. Change their values. And isn't that really quite an incredible parallel to our society today? Think about it. The world has really changed a lot in the last hundred years, hasn't it? Things that were frowned upon a hundred years ago by society at large, excuse me, that were not done in polite circles, are now celebrated as, hey, this is all good, this is wonderful. 
And it's funny because these ideals or these values, even that the Bible teaches, it's almost like they've been co-opted. You know what I mean by co-opted? But it means like taken over and then used for something that they were not designed to be used for. This is what the Babylonian king did with the Hebrew children's temple goods, right? And this is what happens in society today. I mean, we know God is love, right? And we know God loves unconditionally. Amen? That's right. We know that. Now, that doesn't mean God doesn't hold us to what we ought to repent from, right? But unconditional love in today's age has been twisted to mean, well, God just lets me do whatever I want because He loves me, right? They've kind of just, it's not quite right, but it's nearly there. And in being nearly there, it's completely wrong, right? Unconditional love. Another one, who's ever, who's ever heard someone who knows nothing about God say, well, the Bible says, judge not lest ye be judged, Right? We've all heard that, haven't we? Right? Judge not. Don't judge me. And, and that's true. We should not judge one another. We're not here to judge one another. God is our judge. Amen? And just out of interest, that's what the name Daniel means. We'll talk about that in a second. But that's been turned to now say, don't tell me what the truth is. Don't you judge me. This is my truth. And I will live how I want to live. And I will run my life how I want to run my life. Because my truth is truth. Amen. So don't judge me. That's where that gets used these days. Another example. You know, we know that God cares about the individual. Right? Government does not. Let's just be brutally honest. Government doesn't care about the individual. Government doesn't care two hoots about me. They care if they got my vote last week. That's about it. Right? They make decisions based on whole populations. They make decisions based on statistics. But God's not like that, is he? God knows each and every single one of us individually because he wants to have a relationship with us. But that idea of, well, God loves me as an individual, all of a sudden gets turned into, well, I am an individual. I have individual rights. Everything should be done my way. And it, you can see how it's, it's almost similar, but not quite. It's almost the same, but not quite. It's been twisted just slightly by the value system of the world to, to sort of fit their agenda and fit what they want to promote and fit into there and fit in against God's word. And so they take these things that, that look good, but they're not quite. I mean, the Bible talks about this. It says having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. In other words, it, it looks right and it sounds right. You know, and it's like if my cat has four legs and my dog has four legs, my dog is a cat. Well, no, that's not right. Right? There's more to it than that right? You see what I mean? And so the world is trying to co-opt these Christian ideals and twist them and use them and say, well, God is pleased with what we're doing. See, he loves us unconditionally. Hmm. And so this is what the king is doing. So this was the first step the king of Babylon took was that he, he co-opted their religious symbols and their religious functions and the tools of their religion. And he brought them into his house and said, right, I'm going to use them to serve my God now. Amen? That's the first thing he did. Let's keep reading. Daniel chapter 3 and 4. Um, it says that he should bring certain of the children of Israel, children whom there was no blemish, well-favored, 
skillful in wisdom, cunning in knowledge, understanding science, and such as had the ability in them to stand in the king's palace. So once the values are gone, once the world has managed to co-opt the values in our life and, and bend them to their will, the very next step is that the world will seek out the most gifted and the most talented and try and use those gifts and talents to serve their purposes. So this was step two. The king was on the lookout for the smartest, the most intelligent the best looking, the wisest ones. They were the ones that the king wanted. Not so he could say, look, this is the ideal you know, version of a Hebrew person. No. He was saying, I want to take the best that they've got and I want to make them look like us. And see, this is what happens, church, in the world. When the world begins to co-opt your values and you begin to think and act like the world does and we're, we're looking like them and we're sounding like them and we're smelling like them and there's no way that anyone can tell the difference, the next thing you know is that we find that our gifts and our abilities and our talents, instead of being used for the kingdom of God, the world begins to find use for them. And someone who is really outgoing and has a call of God on their life to preach might go out and become a politician. That's the first thing that popped into my head. It must be an election recently. right? Or, or someone who is a really, really talented musician suddenly decides they want to go out and play at nightclubs on Sunday. You see what I mean? These are talents and abilities that God gives us. But when our values have been corrupted by the world, our gifts and our talents and our abilities will follow. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having a secular career. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that at all. I have no problems with that. But it always comes second to our relationship with God. Amen. It always, our gifts and our talents need to be subjected to the will of God because God will give us talents and abilities that we can use to make a difference in our workplace, to make a difference in our community, to make a difference in our school. Amen. But when we ignore using them for the kingdom of God and instead focus on using them out in the world, that's when God's not pleased. Amen. When we, when we use these things that God has given us, and it's the, it's the flow on. It starts with our values. And we begin to think, oh, it's okay. It doesn't matter. It's all right. I can, I can think like that. I can act like that. It's okay. And next thing you know, it's a progression. And so the king was on the lookout for people who were, who were the best and the brightest that they could offer. Not so they can put them in a little seclusion, in a little separated area and keep following their God. But no, he's like, we're going to teach them the tongue of the Chaldeans. We're going to teach them how to speak like us. We're going to teach them how to think like us. We're going to teach them how to act like us. And here's the thing. It sounds like it could be a good thing. The Bible says the pleasures of sin are only for a season and it looks so good. Such as those who would stand in the presence of the king. How many people here have ever met um, royalty? I don't know, the queen or the king or, or I don't know, maybe met the prime minister. I don't know. I'm trying to think, what's the most famous person I've ever had my photo taken with? Brother Clandon's, I get to tell him you said that. <laughs> That'll make him laugh. I don't know, probably, um, 
I'm trying to think. I've had my, who remembers that Australian um, speed skater, Stephen Bradbury? Remember him? He won the gold medal at the Winter Olympics for speed skating because he was the one guy who didn't fall down. Everyone else fell down in front of you. You remember that? It even entered into like the Australian dictionary, like to do a Bradbury means, you know, you just kept going and everyone else failed because they fell down and quit. You just kept going. You didn't give up, right? I met him. I got a photo with him. And I got that because of my career and where I was at and, and the people I was associating with, right? You see, when the devil tries to get you to use your gifts and your talents and your abilities for something other than the kingdom of God, and he doesn't care what, as long as it's not God's kingdom, he's going to make it sound good, such as those who would stand in the presence of the king. You could just almost imagine, like, wow. Daniel's like, I was just like a little minor assistant back home in Jerusalem. And you're saying I'll get to, I'll get to spend time with the king of the most powerful empire in the world? That's pretty good. I'll get some pretty nice flashy clothes to do that. I'll have the best food. It sounds good, doesn't it? And that's what the world does. I mean, if sin did not look good, we would never fall for it, would we? Hello? That just makes sense, doesn't it? And so this all sounds great, and it all sounds good. And this is the trick of the devil, that when he's got your values and your belief systems and what you stand for, your gifts and your talents follow because it just seems logical. It just seems like the best thing to do. Amen? And slowly we slip out. Slowly we slip out. And our gifts that God gives us to advance His kingdom are used to advance the kingdom of the enemy. And this, of course, also is another step in whittling away the identity of the Hebrew children. Just washing it away. They don't even speak our language anymore. They don't even speak Hebrew anymore. They're speaking Chaldean. They look like the king's advisors. They dress like him. They sound like him. They know all the right language. Whittling away their identity. The Babylonians then thought, as the last and final step, that if they could change the Hebrews' names, it would help them to assimilate into their culture and the worship of other identities. This idea was that if we can change their label, we can change their identity. We see this in verses 6 and 7. You had Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. rather, And Daniel got the name Belshazzar. Hananiah got Shadrach, Mishael got Meshach, and Azariah got Abednego. Now, I've always known them by their Babylonian names. Right? If anyone ever says, what were the three guys that were with Daniel? Everyone goes, oh yeah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Rack, Shack, and Benny. Right? But what were their Hebrew names? Oh, hang on. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You know, it's a little bit harder to come up with, isn't it? Right? Their identity was changed. Their name was changed. Now, what do their names mean? And what were their names changed to? Now, Daniel, I mentioned this already. Daniel means God is my judge, or El is my judge. God is my judge. And El, or Elohim, was used to represent the one true God. That's what Elohim meant. It was the, the Hebrew word for Jehovah, the one true God. That's what it represented. They could not write Yahweh, right? Because that was forbidden. They'd have to throw the pen out if they did that. So a lot of the times they used Elohim. 
right? And it represented the one true God. And that name meant that there was only one sovereign God over Daniel's life. Nobody ruled his life but Jehovah. Jehovah was the king, amen? And his name was changed to Belshazzar. Now, Belshazzar means Prince of Marduk or Prince of Bel. Now, Marduk was a Babylonian sun god. And his name was given to Daniel because the king wanted to show Daniel that he has a new king, a new judge, and a new deity seated on the throne of his life. Right? He was a prince of Marduk now. Not under the authority of Jehovah, but under Marduk. Hananiah. Hananiah means the Lord is gracious. The Lord is kind. The Lord does not rule harshly, but He offers grace because we are His sons and daughters, not His slaves. Amen? That's what that name means. The Lord is gracious. His name was changed to Shadrach. Now, Shadrach means command of Aku or servant of Aku, another Babylonian god. Or in other words, in direct opposition to being God is gracious. I am a child of God. He's now a servant, a slave, an indentured one, someone who owes his life to this false God. You are nothing but a slave to his anger and to his hate. Amen. I think from memory, um, Aku was the God of war or the God of the underworld or something like that for the Babylonian Empire. Right? And so he was, he was turned from just a child of God to a slave of some false god, right? See how they're wiping away their identity and changing everything about their nature. Michel, his name was who is what God is. That's what that means. And his name was basically a statement like, who's like our God? Who is gracious like our God? Who is, in, who is love like our God? Who has power like our God? Who reigns like our God? Who's victorious like our God? Amen. This is what his name was saying. And his name was changed to Meshach. Now, Meshach means who is what Aku is. It's almost the same, isn't it? I've just switched the deities. It's same. But different, similar, but altogether opposite. In other words, this God who you have been proclaiming as a good God and a gracious God and a God who loves his children, you've now been swapped to another God. He's not the God that you were taught God was. Amen. Co-opting their identity. Azariah. The name Azariah means the Lord has helped. The God who comes to your aid. The God who meets your need. The God who is there to answer in a time of distress. This is the God with whom we identify. Amen. This is, this is what Azariah meant. And his name was changed to Abednego. And that name means servant of Nebo. Now who was Nebo? Nebo was the Babylonian God of wisdom. Or in other words, what they were saying is why would you need that Jehovah God who helps when you are a servant of the God of wisdom. See how it is so close to being the same, but not quite. You don't need God, is what they were saying. You have the power of wisdom within you because you are a servant of the false God of wisdom. 
The Babylonians' goal here was to erode every part of the Hebrews' identity to get them integrated and assimilated into their society. And while the rest of their generation fell prey to identity theft, we know that these boys did not comply. Amen. And you can read the rest of the story as you, as you go along. You know, they decided, no, I'm not going to live like that. We want to eat like this. And we, we, we're happy to stand in front of the king, but we're going to keep our identity. We're going to keep eating the way we're going to eat and the way we've been taught to eat. Amen. But here's the thing. And I guess this is what I really want to get to this morning. We're kind of running out of time. We're talking about our identity in Christ. And every single one of us, from the youngest to the oldest, has been labeled by society in the past. Sometimes they're good things. Sometimes they're bad things. Amen? And what is happening here in the book of Daniel is that the Babylonian Empire is trying to label these Hebrew children with a new identity and a new label and a new description. But just because somebody calls them something different, just because they are in a foreign land, just because their temple is gone, just because all of these things has happened, it does not change the fact that they are still Hebrew children. Amen. And here's the thing. When you go through life, you are going to get labeled. We get labeled in school, we get labeled at university, we get labeled at work, we get labeled at home, we get labels put on us over and over again by society. And like I said, sometimes they are good, sometimes they are bad, amen? But here's the thing, these labels that people give to us does not change our identity in Christ, just like the fact that these Babylonian children, sorry, these Hebrew children were told by the Babylonians, you've got a new identity, a new life. Forget about the old life. It's gone. Integrate. Learn our language. They refused because they knew that their identity was not changed no matter what people told them. And this is what we need to understand, church, is that when we are labeled, it does not affect our identity. And this is what the enemy tries to do. He sneaks in and he gives us identity and he gives us labels and he tries to, you know, we, we fail God. And he comes in and says, you're a failure. That's a label. You're a loser. That's a label. You're not worth anything. That's a label. None of that changes your value and your worth to God. None of that changes your identity and who you are to God. No matter what the enemy says, no matter what the devil tells you, amen. And so in labeling us, if we allow the enemy to label us, we begin to start to believe that if we're not careful. I can't live for God. I've failed God too many times. You're believing a label. You're not believing an identity. I can't come back to God. I've let him down too much. That's a label. That's not your identity. Amen. It works in reverse. Look at me. I'm the pastor. I'm pretty good. That's just a label. Look at me. I'm someone pretty special. I play the drums. That's just a label. That's not your identity in Christ. You are still a child of God. Amen. And, and, and this helps us not to get too down and depressed and stressed about the times we fail God. 
which we need to come to God and seek forgiveness for. Don't get me wrong. But it also helps us from becoming too proud and too arrogant and too holier than thou in our attitude. Amen. Because all of these things are labels and we've got to keep coming back going, what is my identity? I am a child of God. I'm living for Jesus. That's what I am here to do. Amen. We come back to our identity. And see, many people succumb to the fact that they get a new identity when the enemy labels them. But the truth is, is that we need more young men and women. And more men and women in general, not just young. But men and women like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You know, those three ended up in a fiery furnace. Because they refused to bow. They refused to say, I am not going to worship that God. You can change my name. You can change my clothes. You can change my language. But I am not going to worship your God. Amen. They, their identity was secure and solid. Amen. And even their names bore his mark. Praise the Lord. And so that's what we really need today. Why don't we all stand this morning? As we get ready to go to the Lord in prayer, I want you to start thinking about your life. Because once our values begin to slip, once we let the world take care of our values, amen, the next thing that happens is our gifts and our talents walk out the door. And when that happens, that's when the devil comes up and slaps a label on you. There you go. Look at that. It might, be, it might feel like a good label. Wow, you're a big man. Look at you in that corporation working seven days a week. Great job. Eh, don't worry about church. It's okay. It's all good. Don't worry about it. Right? Hello? But we've got to understand that those labels do not identify us. Our relationship with Jesus Christ and who we are in Him, that is what identifies us. And so this morning as you've been sitting here, maybe you've been thinking of some of those labels that people have labeled you with. Maybe someone's told you you're lazy. Maybe someone's told you you're worthless. Maybe someone's told you you're stupid. Maybe someone's told you you won't amount to much. Maybe someone's told you you're dumb. They're just labels. Your value is incalculable in the sight of God. And our identity is to be found in Him. Amen. Why don't we just talk to the Lord right now? Precious Jesus. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for this lesson.